What's up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast, where I'm joined by Cole, founder of KNC Cattle, who is one of the leaders in the Beef Initiative in Austin, Texas, the Bitcoin Mecca. So I was introduced to Cole through Carr and the guys at Pleb Lab and G. So shout out to those boys uh, for introducing me to Cole. But I've also eaten some of KNC cattle while I was down in uh, Austin for Sats Buy and other things like that. So I can vouch this food is phenomenal. Uh, I mean, if you want to talk about the pr product and everything like that, I mean, I could go on and on. It's absolutely delicious. You can definitely taste the difference in the quality. So I'm supporting what they do and the beef initiative and all that kind of stuff. So be sure to check out KNC Cattle. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, if you are listening on anywhere that you get audio podcasts, please, please, please hit that subscribe button. Give it a five-star rating. Help the show grow. Uh, it allows me to bring in a lot more uh, guests when you guys uh, you know, like the show. It adds a little bit validity behind it. So uh, the support that you all are giving me is greatly, greatly appreciated. And if you're watching on YouTube or uh, you know, just want to check out my beautiful face or see what Cole looks like, uh, so you, when you go and shake his hand, feel free to do so. Check it out on YouTube. Like that video. Subscribe to the channel. Help that thing grow. Uh, and now let's get into the show. And lastly, it's not financial advice. Everything you hear in this podcast is not financial advice. Strictly the opinion of myself and Cole. Now let's get into the episode. Bing bong. I am live with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast. And for those listening on any podcasting 2.0 app such as Fountain, thank you so much. We had sat streamed, but no boost from the last episode. So I do appreciate those sat streamed. Uh, if you have a comment or something like that along the lines of the last episode, you know, feel free to reach out and let me know what you think about it. I'd uh, be happy to hear some feedback and other things like that, and kind of help create that circular economy. Uh, shout out to Bitcoin Bay and uh, here in the Tampa Bay area and Wes and those guys. They're working really hard to create that circular economy in the local community, which I'll kind of get into with my guests here today. Um, but if you're in the Tampa Bay area, they do have a business workshop that will be going on a week from Sunday. Um, so today is the 13th as we're recording this. So I believe the Sunday will be the 23rd. So 23rd, uh, you can check the Eventbrite if you want to buy a ticket. I believe it's only like 5 to 20 bucks. Come out, socialize. They'll be going over taxes, uh, accounting, storage, all that kind of stuff for any small business that is interested in potentially bringing on and getting on that Bitcoin standard. And then shout out to my sponsors. First, the biggest Bitcoin conference in the world, Bitcoin Miami 2023. It's almost about a month away at this point, so if you haven't gotten your ticket yet, use promo code GREENCANDLE in all caps, or there will be a link in the show notes as well. Use that and buy your ticket. See me in Miami. I'll be there hanging out. Come on and join. We can grab a beer, grab lunch, do something like that. Hang out with a bunch of Bitcoiners. There's going to be thousands and thousands of Bitcoiners all congregated in Miami, and we'll all be hanging out and having a good time, so be sure to come down there and join. And then lastly... Shout out to Coddle.co, that's C-O-D-L.co, for the best punch plates in the game. If you don't have your Bitcoin in cold storage now, what the hell are you doing? Get it off an exchange and use a punch plate 
They actually just sent me some of their new punch plates here. I'm previewing them. Uh, so awesome material. Coddle.co. Use promo code Green Candle again, uh, similar to the one at uh, used by uh, Bitcoin Miami Conference, and get 10% off. And then now, I do have a very special guest. He's in the waiting room. Uh, he is from KNC Cattle. It's Cole Bolton. Cole, how you doing today, man? I think you're on mute. There we go. Sorry about that. Oh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. That's awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. So, Cole, um, you know, I don't know if we've actually formally met in person or anything like that, but I got the recommendation. I, I heard you spoke at Bitcoin Commons uh, maybe a week or so ago, uh, and you're helping build up that, uh, you know, beef initiative in the central te- in the central Texas area. So uh, for those who don't know you or don't know KNC Cattle or anything like that, why don't you give us uh, the spiel on who you are and uh, how you got to where you're at today? So, uh, yes, I am the owner of KNC Cattle. We're based out of Austin, Texas. Uh, we ship, we raise all of our beef uh, on our ranches. And I kind of about five, three, four, five years ago, I started our company where we started raising all of our beef and uh, selling directly to the public. Uh, COVID hit and it was just kind of a perfect storm. Uh, we were using a bunch of local processors and getting our our beef harvested and shipping it out we shipped to 48 out of 50 states so we're not just in texas Um, and then a few years ago i started designing and engineering plans along with a partner of mine and we opened our own uh, usda processing facility so now we control we control our animal from conception to uh, uh to harvest and so it's been able you know to give us a competitive advantage but um furthermore just kind of helped give a uh, purpose of what I was doing uh, on a much larger scale because there are a lot of small farms and ranches that are selling directly to the public. Um, I wanted to be able to grow to scale and to to reach more homes uh, with healthy food uh, and make sure uh, that we also keep it uh, cost effective because that's one of the hardest things when you buy direct. Um, you know, sometimes the price point gets out of a normal person's budget and we've been able to manage that as close as we can. But uh, proud, proud to be part of that. And uh, thank you so much for, for having me today. Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm really excited to dive into this con- conversation. So, um, you know, obviously there's been like a big push, it seems, you know, kind of intertwined, kind of not, I don't know, with the, with the Bitcoin community um, when it comes to, you know, getting your own local food, especially when it comes to meat, right? There's been a big issue when it comes to, you know, packaging, distribution, all that kind of stuff in the meat industry. Uh, I know Texas Slim, who's been on the pod previously as well, who's kind of, you know, outlined some of that. So from your perspective, you know, what are some of the bigger issues that we have right now in, in that industry? And what are you kind of trying to fix with KNC Cattle and that like local distribution and kind of that local feel? Well, um, you know, Slim, I'm also a partner in the Beef Initiative as well. Um, I was one of the founding members along with Jason and um, and, and JP and you know, our vision with that is very similar, no different really than the mission statement of what we're trying to do with KNC. What's happening is, you know, with COVID, we saw all these big corporate companies lock down and then people didn't have access to food. What we see in a lot of these small communities is uh, as poverty is taken over, uh, the ability for clean uh, eating and for, for higher quality meats and vegetables and what have you, uh, becomes more scarce. So what we're doing, where my company's model is a little bit different, not only will we ship to you, we also do meetups. So we 
intentionally target uh, these cities, Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, Fort Worth, and we'll uh, allow people to pre-order. We bring it to them. They come meet us. We set up a few meet points, uh, literally meet points. Uh, we call them our meetups, but they uh, they can come and pick up their stuff, save money on shipping, get to shake the rancher's hand and 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 get to know who we are and what we what we stand for and what we're about. And it's been a really interesting grassroots movement. You know, it lined up perfectly with Bitcoin because it's decentralized. It's about exchanging value for value. And we've been able to build such a deep network with it. And we are one of the uh, first companies that I know that took uh, Bitcoin as a source of payment. And, you know, the Bitcoin community really jumped on and on the bandwagon with us, but really, really supported us. And so I've uh, definitely dug in deeper and, and really catered to that community because they understood the exchange of value, which a lot of folks don't. Um, they, they want, you know, something of high quality, but they want it as cheap as they can. And sadly, ranchers operate on such a low margin. Um, I'm trying to recreate what distribution looks like, both at the local and national level, so that uh, we can afford to keep spreading. And hopefully folks can feel more confident in what they're getting and, and knowing the true story of what's behind them. Um, in a nutshell, I'm sure we're going to cover some of the issues, but one of the biggest one that is concerning people right now is the MRNA. Uh, we're seeing a proposal in a couple different states where these drug companies are trying to come in and put MRNA injections uh, into our vaccine program for cattle. And so I've actually had, I haven't done TikTok in a year, but I thought, you know, I really need to reach a lot of people in a short time. So out of nowhere, I made one last week and the damn thing went viral. Um, but where we explain to people what the, what, what strain, the va what vaccine uh, holds the mRNA strand? Is it approved? Is it not approved? Is it in our meat? Is it not? And just really being transparent because that's one of the things our industry hasn't been good at uh, is really touching base with the customers um, and letting consumers not only know how to cook meats, but really understand how they're raised. And so we spend more of our time educating way more than we really do with sales. I'd say 90% is spent on education and 10% is actually spent selling. Um, so yeah, those are some of the big hot topics that, that we battle the most. Yeah. And I mean, it seems like, you know, it's not only in, you know, humans where, where we're worried about like what's, you know, being injected in our bodies now and other things like that. But, you know, I think there's been like, a, like you've kind of pointed out a big push towards understanding what's really in our food and other things like that. So, you know, I, I guess when it comes to these regulations and some of these states, uh, you know, kind of pushing for some of these, you know, maybe mRNA vaccines inside of cattle and other things like that, like, how did we get to this place? Like, why, why is it, why, uh, you know, are some of these regulators kind of pushing towards, you know, maybe fabricating some of this stuff? Is it, you know, maybe a cost thing where it is expensive to, you know, have a lot of farms and other things like that. So they're trying to maybe, I don't know, clone meat or something like that. Or, uh, you know, and from your vantage point, like as somebody who's directly in the industry, what is the main issue behind all of this? And why is there such a push for, you know, injecting all this kind of crazy things into, you know, animals, which in turn turn into uh, our food? Well, that, that's a great question. I think kind of a good answer as an example is to really understand where it comes from. So the mRNA strain would be put into a modified live version of what's called the IBR shot. And IBR is used to treat bovine uh, respiratory disease, bovine viral disease, and a few others. 
Um, typically when you bring cattle from a lot of different areas, like if you buy from several different auction barns and bring them all to one area to grow them and then uh, inevitably fatten them or several different ranches, send them all to, you know, a big uh, feed yard. And so you're bringing all these organisms from in, in exposure to different viruses from so many different geographical locations. Typically ranchers would, would vaccinate with an IVR program. Well, you know, where we have an advantage and small producers have an advantage is, you know, we're not bringing cattle from, from different geographical areas. They're all out of the same herd, the same genetics, all coming to one unified place. And so we don't have to worry about giving that shot. Um, the coronavirus has been around in cattle for 30 years. Um, it's nothing new. It just the media doesn't present it that way. Um, so, yeah, that, with that being said, it does make me wonder why all of a sudden we need uh, to put that into a vaccine program. Yeah, there is there is some some death risk that we battle with BRD and BVD, uh, which is why we give an IBR vaccine as an industry. But as we focus more and more on decentralization, the need for that is less and less. Um, there are other other ways in which we can treat cattle and that have kind of been misconceptions. You know, a lot of folks for years, they were putting medicated or med medicated antibiotics in, into feed. And that was to help a lot of these calves as they were weaning at a young age, not get sick and get pneumonia or shipping stress. Well, the next thing you know, it turns and, and specifically the, the poultry industry and the pork industry started getting a reputation for keeping in the feed the whole life of the animal whereas the uh, beef wasn't necessarily doing that. In fact, it's almost, if a person wants to try to get medicated feed for, you know, let's say they had 30 uh, little calves they had to put off, pull off their mom weighing 150 pounds, it's an act of God to try to even get those medications uh, for the feed. So um, I think the mRNA deal is pretty stupid. Um, I don't understand the need for it. Um, you will have some risk and loss, but you're going to have that in anything. Uh, from our perspective, it won't impact me because I don't have to do it. Um, and we don't need the vaccine with the way we do our program. I gotcha. Well, let's dive into that. So, you know, you've kind of alluded to decentralization aspect. So, uh, yeah, like explain kind of like your process. Like, are you um, essentially kind of uh, getting a bunch of small local farmers kind of in a community? And that's what you're having under the KNC cattle umbrella. Or do you have just like kind of one farm that you have, a, you know, a, a bunch of fat uh, cattle on and that's kind of how you, uh, you know, operate the business? Well, I've been fortunate. I grew up in the cattle business and I wanted to figure out a way. I was always told since I was a kid, if you want to if you want to make a living, don't don't stay in the industry <laughs> um, because it's gotten so hard and the margins are so thin. Um, with that, I was helping to find a way to where I could not only make it profitable for myself, but hopefully I could reach out to other ranchers and we all sort of co-op in an essence where we join forces, we follow the same bloodline, same protocols. So we can give what the industry has always wanted and that's consistency. And so what I've done, I have a partner in the processing facility, two bar C ranches. They have some of the best Angus genetics in the country. And so we joined both of our calf crops together over the last uh, three, four years. And have expanded to where now I have my in-laws, my parents, they all run several hundreds uh, of heads. So now we've put together a couple thousand head. And as our uh, demand uh, continues to rise, I hope to be able then to go to more and more ranches 
put them on a shot protocol program, put them on, because uh, all of our beef is free of antibiotics, free of uh, hormones and implants. And we want to get more ranchers that want to follow those same protocols to go in the program with us, because inevitably it'll help them make more money, you know, allow us to reach uh, a much larger um, community with what we're doing. Yeah, and you can definitely taste the quality. So I, uh, I actually just, uh, I'm like in the process of finishing my first beef box from uh, the Florida Beef Initiative because I'm out here, yeah. and like you know, I, I've been eating it like essentially almost every meal. And you can definitely taste the quality compared to this, compared to, you know, I mean, uh, some other grocery store, so to speak. I don't want to toss any of them under the bus or anything sure. like that, but. Um, you know, you could definitely taste it and, you know, depending on how, how well you can cook it as well, as well, it, it is, it is a great, you know, uh, I guess movement to kind of get behind and it, and it really makes me feel better, I guess, as a whole and everything else. Um, but the reason I brought up the decentralization aspect and you kind of having a bunch of, I guess, uh, you know, farms and ranches under your umbrella, I don't know if you heard about this, um, or, or saw this kind of going, I, I saw it kind of going viral today on Twitter, but um, there was an explosion at a uh, ranch in Dimmit, Texas, where about 18,000 cows got killed um, in this explosion. Um, and it seems like, you know, the decentralization aspect of what you guys are doing, maybe a couple hundred heads or something like that. If you want, I can show the video to you as well. Uh, for yeah, those- while we're talking, I was having to check this out because I actually lived in Dimmit uh, several yeah. years ago. Yeah, so give me one quick second, and I will uh, I'll pull it up here. Um, so there's this. Uh, yeah, you can see see my screen here, but um, I'll pull up the video. They just kind of uh, go through this entire um, you know explosion area here. So I mean, obviously there's a ton of cows just kind of like located in here, but it seems like you know obviously this is a major catastrophe, and I and I hope that this doesn't happen to anybody's farm or anything like that. But the decentralization aspect of, you know, of what you guys are doing too, kind of avoids this in a sense, right? Because it's, it's as like Bitcoiners kind of say, there's, when there's a single point of failure, there, there could be something that happens where, you know, uh, something like this can happen, right? Where it could be detrimental for your entire business. So, you know, is that a kind of a strategy that you uh, seem to, to want to keep employing where, you know, you, you have a bunch of maybe small to mid-sized farms kind of uh, around the state of Texas and around, you know, maybe even around the country where you can uh, then, you know, you know, do everything from raising the cattle to processing and the dis- distribu- distribution all in kind of these, uh, I want to call them like micro facilities, I guess. Right. Well, that's, that's a big part of the mission of the beef initiative. Um, you know, as far as my strategy, like for instance, this was a dairy and you're exactly right. They lost almost 18,000 heads. So what that's going to do to the milk industry over the next six months, it's going to impact all consumers. Um, For us, that's exactly what we do. You know, I've been fortunate. We practice uh, regenerative agriculture, rotational grazing, um, high intensity grazing on our pasture. So we don't want... um, large amounts of animals in a very small confined area. Uh, we want to give them room to roam and we want to utilize our soil. And, you know, our model is different. When you go to the feed yards, their model is is seeing how much weight and how much gain you can put on for the cheapest amount. For us, we're looking at how much money can we make per acre. Uh, so we want to utilize our forage as much as we can, which is the cheapest possible way to naturally grow uh, a cow. 
for us, that's exactly what we're doing. We want to continue to grow with more and more ranchers privately uh, in these rural areas to where we can control that narrative. And it also alleviates a lot of the risk because another topic that has come up is over the last 24 months, there have been over a hundred and something food manufacturing facilities that have burned down or catastrophically blown up or disappeared. And, um, you know, we're trying to avoid any of those situations uh, to the best of our ability. So it doesn't impact our, our, our business structure. Yeah. And it also kind of helps like bring on that, that local community aspect, right. Where, you know, a lot of Bitcoiners talk about the, the circular economy. So, um, you know, it seems like obviously you, you and Slim kind of have maybe similar backgrounds. I don't know. I don't know too much about, uh, about yours, but you did mention that you, um, you know, you were kind of raised in the cattle industry. So, um, you know, let's, let's bring that to Bitcoin then. So, you know, kind of, how did you get involved into Bitcoin and, uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, obviously the decentralization aspect and a lot of the, the aspects of the Bitcoin community kind of resonate with the beef initiative. So uh, talk about your experience with that and kind of, uh, I guess, getting ingrained with the Bitcoin community when it comes to the beef initiative. Yeah, you know, uh, it was it was just an awesome situation. I met Texas Slim. Uh, he was wanting to do the beef initiative and uh, I was already kind of in line doing it all on a small scale and, and can help that grow. So with that, I was able to meet some really awesome people, uh, Marty Bent, uh, Adam Curry, uh, Unchained Capital was instrumental in me jumping on board and Oshi. And all of them kind of just uh, hand fed me information. Uh, they all came to the ranch to buy beef, uh, taught me how to set up my first wallet, how to do my first Bitcoin transaction. Uh, and I, I knew a little bit about Bitcoin. Um, I'm a community banker by trade, which is quite hilarious if you're a Bitcoiner wondering how in the hell I'm in this industry. But um, it made a lot of sense to me because, you know, people have asked me. Uh, it, it's funny. I'm asking them advice about Bitcoin because I'm brand new and they're like, man, are you OK? How are you? You know, I started last November, so I got to see the 62,000, 63,000. And then all of a sudden we're back down to 17, 18 and they're like, man, how are you handling it? And I'm like the same way I handle before I switched my model, I'm a fourth generation rancher and we did commercial, commercial uh, cattle. And, and that's, I've watched every daggum up and down with the commodities market. I've lost money with futures. I've had contracts. I've had about margin calls. I know all about it. And this was, kind of immune to it, sadly. Uh, so it was kind of a perfect fit because ranchers, we already know about that, but being able to, you know, put an investor money into something, you know, most ranchers make any, their money off the real estate. And especially where I'm at in Austin, I use cattle as a utilization tool for our real estate investments. I've been fortunate. I have a lot of leases with, with developers so while they try to go permit plat land, it takes them two years. We go in and cut hay and run cattle and keep them under ag exemption. And so it was this intertwining network that just made absolute sense to me because, you know, we can we can appreciate the value now, not just on real estate, but we can hold and, and, and invest it right back in from our cattle and our earnings and allow it to sit there and, and build uh, build its own value. Yeah, that is interesting. I didn't realize that, that, you know, it was kind of more on the, uh, I guess, the real estate opposed to, you know, the cattle, the product or everything like that, too. 
because it seems like, you know, from the way that the, the industry has gone, um, you know, just, just from hearing what you've said and, uh, you know, talking to other people that, you know, that, that there's just push for like, I guess, you know, local communities uh, avoiding, you know, those uh, vaccinations and other things like that. But it seems like, uh, you know, the, the main product has been the cattle where they've been kind of, I guess, essentially trying to churn as many cattle as possible, kind of push that out. But you're kind of outlining the other way, right, where it's like, hey, you know, we're trying to get most that we can out of the land opposed to the cattle, um, which is interesting just like because because I'm laying this out right now and just kind of thinking about it where it's like I if that is not your main product um, and it is, you know, strictly just, uh, you know, something to help subsidize the land. It doesn't really make sense to me to take to take a ton of shortcuts, which, which is kind of like what you guys are laying out with the beef initiative, um, which still like blows my mind to hear why, uh, you know, uh, that there is there has been such a push to essentially take some of those shortcuts and uh, maybe, you know, fabricate some of these uh, cows or whatnot to try to get the most out of them. And um, it, it sucks because the industry has been subsidized so long uh, by the U.S. government. You know, one of my favorites is when someone's like, okay, we want to buy some ground beef. Well, you've now bought through the Florida Beef Initiative. The taste profile is completely different. And it has a lot to do with the treatment of the animals. It has a lot to do with how they're raised. It has a lot to do with breeding. It also has a whole lot to do with aging beef. Because typically the meat you get at a grocery store within 48 to 72 hours, they've already been killed, dehydrated, cut up, packaged, sent down the road. Well, typically when you're buying local, you're able to age beef for 14 to 21 days and it gives such a more rich profile and it looks different. You can see pictures uh, uh, compared to supermarkets. It smells different. It doesn't have that sour, nasty smell that it has. And usually it cooks much cleaner. And it is it's been hard because people want to be like, well, I can buy ground beef at the grocery store for four dollars. But you, you know, you charge five fifty. Well, yeah, we're trying to change to where. We can actually let the cattle earn a, a revenue versus having to rely so heavily on that real estate model. Uh, so now, hopefully, we can have both working for us instead of just one. Yeah, and that makes a ton of sense, right? And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, that, that there has been, you know, that push for that. But there's also, I guess, in a sense, the argument about distribution, right, where it isn't as convenient maybe to go to these uh, you know, local meetups or, or uh, you know, maybe even ship around nationally. So, you know, uh, when it comes to that issue and kind of bringing some farmers on and saying like, hey, you know, we're, we're going to go to this local meetup and, you know, this is where you can meet up with people once a week, once a month, whatever, to, sh uh, you know, sell beef boxes or sell, you know, what have you. Um, is that kind of a hurdle that you have to get over when, when bringing on other ranchers? Or are they more excited, I guess, to kind of meet some of their customers and really, you know, shake their hand, uh, so to speak? I think a lot of them are, you know, a, a lot of them honestly aren't necessarily as involved in much in the transaction because we've been helping helping broker that. And, and we spent the time, you know, connecting with the customer base. But I think more and more of them are starting to be more receptive because they're realizing now they're not just having to be a commodity. Uh, now they can actually bring a commodity, have the product, be the face of their own brand. And, and building that relationship has uh, helped a lot of them better understand what their value is. Because for the last 
15 years, our value has only been as good as what a feed yard, well, not a feed yard, a corporate packer said we're worth. And we've let them dictate our industry for so long that it just basically seems as if we're irreplaceable. You see all these large factory farms coming into place. You see corporate America buying up uh, the smaller uh, grazing pastures. I mean, Bill Gates owns the, the most land in the U.S. And, you know, he's very pro small community. Right. And so uh, we uh, I think a lot of them take so much pride in that. And we want to save an industry that sadly is dying. People still have to eat. But they're looking at alternatives. They're looking at fake meats. They're looking at, you know, different different ways in which you get your food sources. And uh, we want to stay ahead of the curve and and have communication uh, with consumers before they make the decision which direction they go. Yeah, you brought up fake meat. I kind of want to get into that because there it seems like there's been a push to, you know, not only to, uh, I guess, inject our current meat sources, whether it's, you know, beef, poultry, whatever, with all kinds of hormones and other things like that, whether it's to make the meat last longer on the shelf or do other things, you know, that's neither here nor there. But there's also been a push to, you know, fake meat, some of these like impossible burgers or other things like that, um, maybe even, you know, sticking bugs in some of these patties or other things. And, um, you know, why do you think that that, the, that that's the, the new push? Because it seems to me like, you know, just from like an outsider, like, you know, kind of looking into this industry, like when I go down the shelf, it's like this veggie burger that I'm going to buy that's frozen or in a, you know, an aisle, that seems to be more processed than the meat that I would buy. But it seems like, you know, the, the narrative is almost flipped that the meat industry is processing so much of the food and everything like that. So you need to go to this healthier, uh, I guess, more processed in my eyes, veggie burger. So why do you think that there, there's that push? Well, first, um, a lot of it came down to money. Originally, the way they marketed it is that it would be more efficient, more globally, uh, less impactful of CO2 and would save the environment. Then they wanted to push that it was more cost effective. But one of the beauties of it is you look at these companies that were doing it and they've lost their ass. Their earnings are down. Uh, one, consumers realize the taste profile. And, and these companies have blatantly admitted it. I watched a deal the other day where Bill Gates basically point blank said, look, our soy burgers just they don't taste that great yet. But we're working on it. We're going to fix it. So, um, you know, I think it. Although they brought it into the market and we're having to compete with it, I'm not as worried about that as much anymore because consumers spoke and said, look, this tastes like crap. <clears throat> the hardest part is more of a lifestyle choice. And I'm as guilty as anyone. Um, I travel all day long. There are days where I eat like crap because I'm in a hurry. And so many families, when they get home at night, the last thing they want to do is spend 30 minutes cooking. But those are also, you know, Folks that are trying to kind of bring that family culture back into their lifestyle where they spend time at a dinner table are more prone to spend 30 minutes cooking versus stopping and getting a McDonald's cheeseburger or grabbing a veggie burger, throwing it in the oven for five seconds and, and moving on. Uh, they're willing to spend that time and, and, and really, you know, invest back into their family and, uh, and to just the overall health benefits are so much better than processed foods, uh, nat natural meats, natural vegetables, the exact same way. When you when you eat from the true source of where, of where it comes from in a natural way, um, there's lots and lots of studies. I can quote them all day long. Not as good as Texas Slim does, but um, that are really really showing that inevitably, you know, high cholesterol wasn't from eating red meat necessarily. 
um, actually eating natural red meat can be better for you. We see all these folks that are going straight carnivore and, and their, their muscle mass, their health is through the charts, but all depends on what they eat. Most of them are eating directly from a ranch. Uh, that's not, you know, that hasn't had any of that additive crap put into it. And that's one of my favorite things to show is like it, I'm sure you've seen it on social media. Someone did a side-by-side -side comparison where they took a pack of ground beef that's bright red from the grocery store. They took a pack of ground beef that came from a, a local ranch and it's like a dark, rich red. Part of that's because we, most of us are vacuum sealing. So naturally you're taking the oxygen out of a package and it does temporarily change the color alteration. When you open the package, it does bloom back up. But, you know, a lot of folks don't realize they're putting gases at times into packages to carry the, the shelf life longer. Um, one of my favorites is people will call the meat market and be like, I will never, ever get frozen beef. Well, when you cryovac, it doesn't affect the quality if, if you know how to cook. Um, I don't mean that insulting, but we have some chefs and I've worked with enough of really large chefs. They freeze product, they age product, they do all the same things. Um, not saying they don't want fresh primals. There is something with that fresh ribeye that, that does make a difference, but when you cry back and freeze them with with proper preparation, they still eat as good. So um, kind of going back to your question, sorry, got a little tangent there, but um, inevitably, you know, it comes down to making consumers realize, do we want, you know, the U.S. only spends less than 10 percent of their income on food, whereas most other countries average 35 to 40 percent. So do we want to invest more in healthy foods versus insurance? It comes down to what consumers feel more comfortable with. They want less health risk probably should eat better. If they want to keep paying medical bills, then maybe don't. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I agree with you 100% when it comes to that study. Um, you know, I, I think I, I remember like looking deep into it. And, you know, I think it's still kind of taken as truth to some people where it's like, hey, you know, if you're eating all this red meat, you're going to have, uh, you know, bad cholesterol, you're going to have, you know, check your heart and all this other kind of things like it's really bad for you. And uh, there's just been kind of this overall just I, it seems like a media narrative that eating red meat uh, is bad for you uh, initially. But it seems like that narrative's kind of shifting. Maybe I'm in my, uh, you know, little Bitcoin bubble or so to speak. But it does seem like, you know, more people that I know that are even outside of Bitcoin are kind of moving towards that carnivore start type diet or, you know, eating a lot more red meat or eating steak and kind of moving that way. Uh, do you think that that's going to be a trend that kind of continues going on as as people are kind of waking up, as, as you kind of described to, you know, this this poor tasting impossible burgers and other things like that? I think as long as we can stay competitive in the market uh, and, and still have a price point that fits the average person's budget. Yeah, I think it'll keep pushing. Um, you know, it's real similar to what miners are dealing with on Bitcoin. I mean, you are taking the same hara same harassment about uh, environmental impact of mining and how it's, you know, depleting natural resources, yet the same guy that's posting the narrative, you know, whether it's Bill Gates or choose some others, they're flying around in a jet that produces 10 times more carbon than what a cow fart or a machine hooked up to a wind turbine uh, generating Bitcoin, you know, mining is, but they have their own narratives that they twist to their own advantage. And if we can get enough people to to come together and really stand for what we're doing. Um, and, and finally just step up to corporate America and say enough, we're tired of this. You've been controlling us with our health for a long time. We want to take that back. 
Well, then, I mean, that makes sense. Going back to your question, why do they want to put all this stuff in our food? Why, why are they looking at mRNA? Why are they looking at this? I mean, I'm not going to be accused of being a conspiracy theorist, but uh, I do think there's ways in which you can control populations easier. And uh, I think that's kind of the answer to the question you asked me earlier. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, you know, you know, the kind of the, the control aspect of it too, but um, you know, c- kind of creating these decentralized like local communities seems like, you know, kind of the, the I guess the way to go, whether that's creating a, you know, a circular economy with, with Bitcoin uh, kind of shaking your rancher's hand and all this kind of movement. So, uh, you know, how are you seeing that kind of unfold uh, in Austin and kind of the central Texas area? I mean, obviously there's, there's a huge Bitcoin community going on in Austin with, you know, Pleb Lab and Bitcoin Commons. So shout out to Carr and, and all those guys that are, you know, doing the damn thing out there in Austin. Um, but it seems like, you know, they're, they're really kind of rallying behind this movement, um, whether it's the Beach Initiative or Bitcoin, and they're all kind of commingled in a sense. So, you know, as somebody that's in the thick of it and kind of, uh, you know, going through the, through the whole thing with everybody, you know, how do you kind of see that community developing? And, uh, you know, where do you see it kind of going in the next uh, year or two? You know, uh, and big shout out to Carr. The guy shows so much about product on on Twitter. He's been like one of my biggest fans. He's awesome. Um, you know, it is so moving to me because I was a little bit closed minded, not knowing Bitcoin. I've said this on a few podcasts. So I hope none of your listeners want to shoot me with this comment, but not understanding Bitcoin and hadn't been in, a, in the finance industry. Uh, I just had a brief idea of what it was so when i started getting integrated with the community my original thought was look it's just a bunch of tech nerds they're probably all a bunch of californians uh i had my own uh, opinions of, of what of what that nature was going to look like in the community but come to find out you know so many of them their their moral values lined up eye to eye with what i stand for we're just from different geographic areas or different hobbies and interests but it's been such a welcoming group that um we joke, uh, a good friend of mine, Matt, he's, he's helped me so much in Bitcoin. And, and, uh, I tell him he's the only person from California. I'll, I'll introduce to all, all my, my cowboy friends, but, uh, you know, he, he was so understanding and could relate to, to people regardless of our lifestyles. And the whole community has been that way because we're all just trying to support each other. Um, I've seen that network grow and it's crazy because whether it's Plea Lab or Bitcoin Commons, I have people coming into our processing plant that have heard us on podcasts or whatever uh, or what have you. And they're trying to pay in Bitcoin at my meat market and they live 50, 60 miles outside of Austin. and had no clue who Bitcoin Commons was or the Plea Lab. They didn't know there was a huge community of it. And so being able, we have watched so many more of them all come together and they're like, you know, we can fix the money. We can fix our food systems. We can all come together. We can join in on political ideas. We can stay away from them, but we all have one general goal in mind, and that's the overall security of our own wealth, our own families, and our own health. And it has just been an amazing alignment. Uh, I, I could never have imagined. Yeah, and it seems like you know it's all kind of around that personal responsibility, right? I mean, just yeah. like truly understanding, like one, where your money is, like taking a. Oh, complete ownership of, of that when you can do that strictly through Bitcoin, right? I mean, uh, right. decentralization aspect, cold storage, all that kind of stuff, obviously great. 
Um, and then it seems like there's kind of a push towards the, the fitness industry as well, you know, getting in shape, understanding like, hey, you know, I, I got one body, like, let me get it out there and move. And then, you know, once I do that, I need to be able to replenish my body, right? So what I'm really putting in is, is super important. And so that push towards, you know, really understanding that and, and the food industry and everything like that. And it seems like, you know, as much as, you know, some people maybe growing up or family members or what have you have kind of wanted to avoid the whole money talk, it seems like it's all kind of intertwined and interconnected when you really take a step back and dive into, you know, the fiat monetary system and kind of, uh, you know, you see where the incentives lie. And, uh, you know, kind of like you said, when it comes to, to Bitcoin, you know, I, I get it, you know, <laughs> it, it is kind of intimidating to some people at first. And you definitely think like, hey, this could be some sort of uh, tech mumbo jumbo. What is this funny money? You know, I don't really understand it or everything like that. But, you know, when you kind of take a step back and understand like the people that are in Bitcoin and see really where their values lie um, and they really just want to, you know, create a better place to live uh, for themselves and, you know, their family and everything like that and really, you know, help everybody out. And it seems like they're extremely generous community as a whole. And uh, yeah, I mean, I hope uh, to see to see more out of KNC cattle. So, um, you know, on that note, as you're kind of connecting with more Bitcoiners and connecting with more people just in the central Texas area and beyond, you know, what do you kind of see for KNC cattle going forward? Like, what is your mission is are you trying to, you know, stay local in Texas? Or are you trying to maybe ex expand in a few other states? Well, first and foremost, I want to stay in our immediate footprint and service our own communities. So I'm really targeted around Central Texas. We are going to continue stretching our footprint to Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, Fort Worth, and some of the other bigger cities because there is a huge market. Um, we haven't stopped shipping. We will still ship all across the country. But I want to really focus on servicing my immediate area and work with other ranchers and other states through the beef initiative to get them to build their own communities, their own networks, uh, and help, you know, share the highs, the lows, the expensive education I've had um, as, as we, we've designed all of this. But I, I hope that uh, in five years that, you know, people aren't thinking as quickly when uh, they're getting ready for a cookout about going to the local grocery store. I hope the first thought that comes to mind is which rancher am I going to go to today? Uh, or which rancher can I call and get my product in a few days? And that's one of the biggest challenges, you know, inventory management of, of beef and how much beef it takes. Most people don't even realize, you know, 35 to 50% of a carcass is ground beef. So, you know, if I have 10 people order skirt steaks, I got to harvest six whole beef just for those 10 people. And then I got to move all the other products. So we've had some challenges there, but we've, really been able to overcome a whole lot of that with growth and, and getting to scale. Um, but uh, I hope we, we uh, continue uh, just to touch the lives of others and help them have a safe alternative to the food source. Yeah. And I, and I totally resonate with that. You know, I'll, I'll be continuing to buy from the Florida beef initiative and, you know, it's just me here. So 16 pounds sure. of meat in a beef box. It's going to last a while. Yeah, it's lasted me a good bit, and I'm eating meat with every single every single meal at this point too, just to just to try to run through it because I'm like, hey man, it's here, might as well. But you know, this whole conversation is making me very hungry, so I have to ask you this question. 
is out of all, all the things that you, you know, you produce and, and all the things like that, what is your favorite cut of meat or a favorite way to cook it? All that kind of stuff. Like what brings you the most joy? If you're going to, you know, cook out or something like that and you're bringing some people together, what's the one item that you have to bring uh, to uh, contribute to the group? Okay, I'm not going to give the answer that most of everyone else would give you, which would be ribeyes. Um, when we started our little company, a little quick backstory, I was hell-bent to teach people and educate them about other parts of the cow that are really, really damn good besides just eating ribeyes. Because um, you only get so many per animal. And so one of my absolute favorites that I like to cook is picanha. And it comes out of the top sirloin butt. It's in a big old triangle. It's similar to that California brisket that they call the tri-tip. Um, it's, it, it's a nice, perfect uh, triangle. I do a reverse sear on it. I slow cook it. Some people smoke them. I'm a salt and pepper guy. I don't use a whole lot of different seasoning. And man, I slice it up into steaks. That's what I serve at holidays. So instead of prime rib, you're getting picanha at my house. Um, and two, I, I want to sell my money cuts. I'm going to try to eat the cheaper ones. So uh, I, I try to learn how to master that one. And now that I have, I bet we haven't cooked a ribeye in my house in two, three months. Um, uh, you know, my best sellers through our company actually are not the ribeyes. People love them. Don't get me wrong, but we've got them hooked on Chuck Eye and Denver steaks and tri-tips and Terrace Major and all these different things because we provide uh, cooking information and lots of different things in our email campaigns. Uh, so we're trying to help people learn how to cook some of this other stuff. Yeah, man, I need to start to learn how to cook some of it too, because I've had, you know, I have some, some of these cuts out, out here where I'm like, all right, well, what's the best way to cook it? So I'm sitting on Google. Right? Right, right. I might need to join this email list just so yeah. I, can, I can figure it out myself too. So uh, yeah. How, how do I do that? Do I just go to your website? And, yeah. Uh, you can go to our website and, and subscribe to our email list. It's it. Kncattle.com, K-A-N-D-C-C-A-T-T-L-E.com. We, we, uh, we have social media on, shoot, everything, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, TikTok. It's all KNC Cattle, and uh, we do all kinds of videos. So we show you conception. We'll show you everything at the ranch. We show you the process and plant. We show you cooking demos. So we have all kinds of information out there for everybody. Yeah, that's great stuff. I have to check all that stuff out and I'll put it all in the show notes too for anybody Thank interested you. as well. Um, but um, before I let you go, uh, we're a quarter through the year and we have, you know, obviously three quarters left of this year. There is kind of maybe some doom and gloom when it comes to the overall macro economy, or everything like that. But I am very bullish when it comes to the beef initiative. So, you know, what gets you mo mo most jacked up about the beef in initiative? And uh, yeah, do you have any like plans on going to any of these, you know, beef initiative conferences? What do you guys got planned for the rest of the year? Yeah, um, I'm going to go to as many of them as I can. Um, unfortunately, right now, running my meat company, running our processing plant, um, and then I work a full time job on top of all of that, too, and manage the ranch. Uh, it's been a little bit more difficult, but we're going to start doing a lot more meetups. Uh we do a kill it and grill it and a cattleman's feast at every single beef initiative conference. And so we bring our team of chefs. Uh, we have one that works for us full time and we give you a demo of, of what it's like to cook the whole part of the cow and, or different parts of the cow. Um, we're going to continue doing that. I'm seeing a lot, a lot of positive reactions and, you know, from the Bitcoin community and just from folks that aren't necessarily in Bitcoin. And it's been a perfect exposure because it's a great conversation starter. Um, 
kind of that that beef and Bitcoin moniker is really uh, starting to ring for folks. But I see us this year. We're going to really, really focus on Texas. We are going to do some traveling out of state. So uh, y'all get to see us in a lot of different places and probably even see some of our product in Miami. Uh, I've had a few folks reach out about wanting to have uh, cookouts or dinner. So if we don't get to make it there, at least uh, I know some of our products going to be there. Yeah, that's great stuff. I'll have to figure out where that's going to be because I'm going to want to crash that party for sure. Because for uh, sure. You know, I while I was at a Pleb Lab, I believe during uh, you know startup day and everything like that, we had some of your brisket and other things uh, uh, coming into the to the Pleb Lab, and oh my god, it was delicious. I mean, awesome. that's the one thing I do miss about being here in Florida and away from Texas is that you don't get great barbecue here in Florida. So I, I, everybody listening, I'm sorry, but. I grew up in Texas. I went to school in Memphis. Like I'm used to outstanding barbecue. And uh, unfortunately, it just Florida barbecue doesn't match up. I mean, it's tough, but it it is the truth. So um, but Cole, you've been very generous with your time and you're making me extremely hungry talking about all this stuff. I'm really excited about the beef initiative and everything else. So uh, for the plebs listening out there, what can they do to help you out and uh you know, help KNC cattle? Is it just, you know, I guess, blast off the messages on, uh, on Twitter, or is there any other way that they can help support you guys? Cole, can you hear me? Oh, sorry about that. Uh, I had myself muted or I thought I did. Oh, you know, for us, yeah, shoot us DMs. Um, I'm getting a lot of messages from folks in all different States. We'd love to connect you with ranchers that we know all across the United States. Uh, shoot us DMs, hit us up on any of the social media platforms, and uh, we'll do anything and everything we can to help get that exposure. Um, more than anything, tell people, share, share the, share the good word. Just like we're all trying to do with Bitcoin, all we can do is, is be advocates and disciples in what we believe in. For sure, and then check them out on Twitter, right? K and C Cattle, K and C Cattle, then K and C Cattle and Kansas yes, Cattle everywhere else, right? It's Pretty much. Great. Yes, sir. All right. Awesome stuff. So I'll put all that stuff in the show notes. And uh, yeah, give them a follow. Buy their meat on uh, Oshi or some other platform on directly from their website. Go shake some. Go shake Cole's hand and uh, taste some of his product, man. I mean, it's it's absolutely delicious. You have the, the green candle stamp of approval. So uh, you can't go wrong with anything that he's got there. So Cole, thanks so much, man. I appreciate your time. Thank you.